We hope you enjoy our homily podcast. Please consider supporting the ministry of Our Lady of Lords by donating to the Future Full of Hope Capital Campaign at lordsdenver.org. We are so grateful for your support. Good evening, everyone. So tonight's one of those, one of my friends, Father Greg Peterson, he has, um, I think he like makes all of his parishioners bring their Bibles to Mass, and he like kicks them out if they don't, I'm just kidding. But he, he, he like really is like, you need to bring your Bible to Mass. And I'm always torn about that because I'm like, I don't know, it just doesn't, it, it takes longer a lot of times to dive through Scripture. But anyway, I wish you had your Bibles tonight, and I'm judging you if you don't. Okay, there you go. Um, tonight's first reading is a critical Old Testament reading that is quoted in key places in the New Testament. When St. Paul and Jesus and the, the writers of the New Testament, when they look back at the Old Testament, there's certain things in lines in the Old Testament that they say, that one right there, that's everything that happened in the gospel. And tonight's one of them. So tonight we have your favorite prophet in mind, Habakkuk, right? I always wonder sometimes people, their lectures get up and they're like, a reading from the prophet Habakkuk. And you're like, do they have the right book, right? There's 12 minor prophets, Habakkuk's one of them. And this line in Habakkuk 2.4 that we're going to dive into tonight, that line is quoted in Romans chapter 1, Galatians chapter 3, and in Hebrews chapter 10. And in all three of those letters, it's not just like, oh, it's kind of sprinkled there. Those are critical moments where Paul wants you to understand everything he has to say. And so Habakkuk 2.4 for us tonight, I want to break open, brothers and sisters, this is a powerful line. And it's going to break open for us the heart of the gospel. So you know how I work. First, there's a story, right? That's the formula. So story first. So you, do you know this? Are you guys awake? This means yes. This means no. I'm insecure tonight. I feel like you're just staring at me. Okay. When I was a kid, here's what tonight, the, let me read Habakkuk 2.4 first. Habakkuk 2.4 says this. Behold, he whose soul is not upright in him shall fail. But the righteous shall live by his faith. That's what we're getting at tonight. And specifically that line, the righteous shall live by faith. That's the line Paul quotes. Okay, so when I was a kid, I don't know if parents, if you're like this, those of you who are out there tonight. When I was a kid, my parents drove me all over the state of Colorado to play baseball. And so we had a really successful baseball team. So much so that I was convinced as a kid that I was only good at sports. And so I had to become a professional athlete, which I told the 11 a.m. I'm still waiting for the Broncos to call, right? They're getting that desperate right now. (laughs) But I really thought that. And I thought, you know what? If I'm not going to be a pro athlete, what else am I going to do? And you knew. Um, But uh, one time I was about 10 years old and my parents drove us all over creation for this. But we had a baseball practice, and I was in a baseball carpool for practices with Joey Baird and Scott Bennett. 
And we would rotate, you know, which mom was kind of driving us that practice. Well, when I was roughly 10, somewhere in there, I remember we had a long day, we had a long practice, and our coach was in a rush to get somewhere. And so practice finishes, and my coach didn't notice that the three of us hadn't gotten picked up. And there was a miscommunication, right? Something, something happened, somebody missed their turn, and everyone left, and it happened quickly, and I remember Scott and Joey and I sitting there, right, and we're just, think stranger things, right? This is the 80s, maybe about, right, about 1990, and we're just sitting there, and you can just feel, I felt that Scott and Joey, you could just feel it, 10 minutes pass, 20 minutes pass, half hour passes, and you could feel them getting nervous, I remember that very vividly. And I remember, like, I don't know how long we were there, but I do remember that it started to get dark. And when you're a 10-year-old little boy, you don't know what to do. And this is before cell phones. And I didn't know what we were going to do. But the, the biggest thing I remember about that moment in my life is that I wasn't scared. And I, and I was not scared just for one simple reason. It's, it's the easiest thing on earth. The only reason I wasn't scared is because I knew that my mother was faithful. I knew it. She had proved it a thousand times. She still has. I'm 39 now. My mom and dad still want me to move back home. They're like, you're not married. We got a room. I'm like, I'm like... Not going to happen. <laughs> but my parents were always like that, and my mom was so faithful. And here's what I want you to get from that story. When you have someone in your life whose faithfulness goes ahead of you, it makes you free. If you put it the other way around, if you meet children who they're not sure if their parents are going to be there or not, it's a devastating thing. And they grow up differently. Right? And they wonder, that they learn that they have to look out for themselves because mom and dad aren't going to. There's something marvelous when you have a person in your life that is faithful to you. This is what St. Paul wants us to understand in those critical sections in Romans 1 and Galatians 3. By the way, he also makes, it's not direct quotes, but he also alludes to Habakkuk 2.4 and about seven other places. It's a really important passage for him. So how do we understand this? What do I want to get at tonight? Brothers and sisters, you knew this was coming. There's a bad translation. So in Romans 1, Paul is quoting that, that line. And I would encourage you, go home. You know, we have a podcast where homilies are recorded. Go home because you'll forget. It's Romans 1, 16, and 17. Go home, and then you can hear that, and go pray with Romans 1, 16, and 17. Here's what it says. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. That right there is worth prayer, right? I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
How many of us today are? I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And here, we're going to get to this. What Paul's talking about is God's righteousness is his fidelity to you. And so many of us spend so much of our time and our, our anxiety to say, God, are you really faithful? Do you really love me? Are you really going to show up? Which, by the way, is the context of our first reading. That's the question Habakkuk was asking. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. As it is written... He who through faith is righteous shall live. He who through faith is righteous shall live. And here we go. The Greek in that passage doesn't say that. And Paul's Bible doesn't say that. When Paul reads Habakkuk, that's not what it says. And if, if you want me to explain why, we'll be here a while, but I'm up for it. <laughs> Thank you. Here's what's going on. In the Greek, what it says is it says, the righteous one, hodikaios in Greek, the righteous one shall live by, and in, in our translation, it says by faith. In the Greek, there's a subtle change. In the Greek, it doesn't say that the righteous one is going to live by his or her faith. It says, the righteous one will live by my faithfulness. The righteous one will live by my faithfulness. What does that mean? Why is it different? Here's what it means. When God's speaking in this passage, what he's saying is just what happened when I was at that baseball field. He's not saying that your life as a Christian is because you have great faith. He's not saying that. That's not what the Bible's telling us. What the Bible's telling us is that you can live a different life because he is faithful. That's the gospel. The gospel is not that you have this amazing faith and now you get to go to heaven. That's not Christianity. Christianity is that God is so faithful, and my mom proved to me her fidelity, but it wasn't like that. Brothers and sisters, the deeper in your faith that you go, you have to realize that that man on that cross Every time you see that, you should remember that's how faithful God is to you. In the gospel, Romans 1.16, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Amen.
And all the times in our life where we say, and I do it too, God, where are you? I'm scared about the future. I'm scared about if I'm going to find somebody. I'm scared about retirement. I'm scared about my cousins. I'm scared about my kids, whatever it might be. And we say, God, where are you? You have no reason to doubt his faithfulness. He is always faithful to you. He is so faithful to you that he did that. He poured out his very life. That's the gospel. And so to sum it up, lastly, just if you're going to say it in one line, here's what it is. It's that I can live a faithful life because I know God's faithful first. Jesus, because I know you're faithful, I know that I can live a faithful life. The world doesn't know it, right? That's why all of your peers, everyone who doesn't go to church, right? May we all judge them collectively right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> they don't know this. If you don't know that God's going to take care of you, if you don't know that he's faithful, and I don't mean in the sense of like, you know, wow, like he is going to make me rich. Wow, God's faithful. I don't mean that. I mean that he is going to do what's best for you and he is going to bring you to heaven. He has a plan for your life. He loves you infinitely. And even when he lets you suffer, it is for your good. He allows you to suffer because he loves you. And if you turn to him, he's going to provide the way forward. God is always faithful. That's the gospel. The world doesn't know that. So what does the world have to do? The world's scared. And the world says, I know God's not looking out for me. So you know what? I better look out for myself. And so I need to cling to all the things the world has to offer because God couldn't possibly make me happy. He couldn't fill that space in my heart that seems to be an endless black hole. And whatever I throw at it, it just keeps going and going and going. And I can't fill it. And so the world keeps going and they say, let me cling to whatever I can find. But not you. You don't have to do that. You don't have to go down that rabbit hole that never ends because Jesus Christ is faithful. One quote tonight that's not in the Bible. This is from a scripture nerd named uh, Richard Hayes, who I just love. He says, and he's talking about exactly this theme and these passages. He says, as a result of Jesus' faithfulness, the life that we now live in Christ, we live by faith in the Son of God, right? Our life of faith is different and it starts because he is faithful. We are taken up into his life. And here's, the, here's where it goes even further. The mark of the Christian isn't just that we know he's faithful and now we can live better lives. We are taken up into his life, including his faithfulness. And that faithfulness imparts to us 
the shape of our own existence. Hear that one more time. Right? He's talking about Jesus' cross. That faithfulness imparts to us the shape of our existence. I love that. One, there's a great book that, that a Catholic scripture scholar wrote on Paul. And he loves talking about cruciformity. And what he's saying is just what Richard Hayes says there. Every area of your life as you, to grow in Christian maturity, and as you grow in that, every single area of your life is called to be shaped by the cross of Jesus Christ. Every single area. The way you speak, right? When you're in conversations at work and other people run their mouths, your speech is shaped by the cross of Jesus Christ. And you have died to your old self and to the world, and you live the new life of the resurrection. And so you don't talk the way other people talk. And in politics, the way that you are engaged in politics is shaped by the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ showed that all power, all real power, looks like that. Right? And on the cross of Christ, the world was shown that there is, that Caesar has no power. There is only one king. His name is Jesus. He's the only king. Right? So Christians are not Republicans or Democrats. They're Christians. And they shape their lives and the lives of their countries after the cross of Jesus Christ. Man, I love this stuff. I'm pumped up tonight. I could go on forever. I know. Don't get too worried. I won't. Lastly tonight, and here's what this is all driving towards. This is our last weekend, and I want you to feel this. this is, I did not choose my sermon this night to get to this point. I just love the way the gospel touches everything. Tonight's our last night of the stewardship of generosity. The cross of Christ touches the way that we do our politics. It touches the way we speak. It touches our relationships. It touches what we do on Sundays. It does everything it also shapes the way we use our money. And so when we do this stewardship of generosity every year, we have two weekends a year we do it, it's not about bills at Our Lady of Lords. It's about your faith. That's what generosity is about. And so every year I ask you to, to look forward and to commit. Brothers and sisters, one of the great temptations in our life is money. And it's easier not to be generous. Guess what? Jesus Christ, your king, is generous. He's amazingly generous. So you and I, right, because he is faithful, you and I are called to be faithful. And we can be. We don't have to be scared the way the world is. 
And so tonight, my, my challenge to you is to look at your finances and to ask yourself if they are shaped by the cross of Jesus Christ. If they haven't been, what are you waiting for? Get on board. It's good. You'll be happier. I promise you. It might be a little scary for you, but it'll be better. You'll be happier. Tonight, I can challenge you. There's just a few challenges. What most Christians do is this. What most Christians do, I think, is we kind of say, I'm a normal guy. I'm just living life. And so I pay my mortgage and my car payment and my, my bills and my cell phone and cable and whatever else you have. And if things are okay and I have a little left over, I'll throw some money towards the church. This is my biggest challenge. If you're in that group, you're the biggest group I want to challenge. You want to be a Christian? God is not last. He's first. He is not first in one area of our life. He is first in every single area. Everyone. In my budget, right, the money that goes towards God, meaning the, like towards the church and the poor, is not the last thing on my budget. It's the first. That's a concrete act of faith. So my biggest challenge is if, you're, if you've been someone who's been haphazard in your giving, we're asking you to look at 20, the year 2020. Stop being haphazard, be intentional. Right, maybe finances are tight. We've all been there. Who wouldn't understand that, right? Most of us could give $10 a month. If you can't give $10 a month, Something's wrong with your life, and you're going to come to my office with a financial advisor, and we're going to budget your life, okay? Because you, you, if you can't afford $10 a month, something's wrong, right? Most of us could do far better than that. But most people just aren't intentional. One stat, well, I've done it all day, I'll just tell you. Our last year, 2019, this past fiscal year, we had 1,100 registered parishioners, we had, of those households, 1,100 households, we had 359 households that regularly support our church. Out of 1,100. Now, there's caveats. Some of you give in cash, and you are supporting. Some of you give once a year. I think most people who aren't giving to the offertory just don't come to church. And I will find them at Wash Park, and they will be in big trouble. But my point is just this, we can do better than that. You can do better than that. You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to have tons of excess income. You can do something. If you're in that group, you are the biggest group I wanna challenge. You can do something. Every one of us can. The other groups in there, I think there's, there's no New Testament rule about what percentage you have to give. The Old Testament, the rule in the Old Testament is 10%. In the New Testament, there's no, there's no number. The New Testament law is generosity. It's that you should be challenged to be generous because of your love of God. So for the rest of us, I want to challenge you to that. So, and then lastly tonight, I just want you to look at this card. So if you pull out those cards in your pews, they're in front of you. Don't pretend like you can't see them. Pull these cards out. They're this size. 
Just look at it with me for one minute and we'll be done. And just flip to the back side. There's those tables and that prayer. Pray this prayer with me. This is a prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola. Lord, teach me to be generous. Teach me to serve as you deserve. To give and not count the cost. To fight and not heed the wounds. To toil and not to seek for rest. To labor and not to seek for reward. Save that of knowing I do your most holy will. Amen. Our Lady of Lords. So these cards are just helpful. We want to get you into that place where you're intentional. So on that back, there's those giving guidelines, right? If you make $60,000 a year, a tithe would be a full 10% is $6,000 a year, which is $500 a month. It's $115 a week. If you did a half tithe, you said, you know what? I can do 5% this year, Father Brian. That's great. That's awesome. A half tithe on a $60,000 salary is $3,000 a year, which is $250 a month. It's $58 a week. Those are kind of helpful kind of guidelines right there. If you haven't filled one of these out, I'm going to encourage you to do that. On that flip side, there's information with your address, all your contact info. If you haven't registered yet as a parishioner, sign up and register as a parishioner. I always joke about this. So on the flip side there, there's a signature line. So the ushers are going to come around. We have a bunch of pins. And we're going to each prick our fingers, and you're going to sign in blood. No. Why is there a signature line? This is not a contract. We do not send out bills. We'll send out four yearly statements, quarterly statements, just to tell you, here's what you said you were going to do. Here's what we've seen so far, but it's not a bill. This is not a contract. It's your free will offering. It starts in January 2020. You can mark on there some of those boxes at the bottom if you're interested. Do want to encourage you to online giving. If you go to our website, we've cleaned up our giving page there. About 65% of our parishioners who give to our offertory give online. Thank you for doing that. So tonight, I just give you like one minute here. If you want to fill out those cards, you can put them in the baskets. Take them home, mail them back, get online, but sign up for something that matters. Right? The righteous one lives by the faithfulness of God. And this is one area where that's true. So fill that out. We'll give you a minute. If you want to put it in the basket when the collection goes around, that's great. We would love that. But my goal is like, it's not that you have to give a certain number but everyone should be able to do something. Jesus, thank you for your generosity. And Lord, may our lives of faith reflect, reflect the faithfulness that comes from you.